Welcome to Blind Squirrel Macro the Pod, our usual companion to the weekly newsletter which you can find for free at blindsquirrelmacro.com. Squirrel here on the morning of Tuesday the 27th of February, Melbourne time. In fact, it's Mrs. Squirrel's birthday. First, a usual message from legal. Everything in this podcast is for educational and for entertainment purposes only and is categorically not investment advice. Before making any investment decisions, for heaven's sakes, don't listen to a cartoon rodent. Talk to a financial advisor. Now, the title of this week's pod is a play on the original, probably Canadian, story that involves two men contemplating how they might escape from an angry bear. One man starts praying while the other prepares to run. The praying man correctly observes to his companion that it's uh, it's absolutely impossible to outrun a bear. His friend's response, nah mate, I just need to outrun you. I'm not sure why this Canadian had an Australian accent. Anyway, the cover art for my note went with two squirrels and a cheetah on the African savannah. This is, after all, a rodent-based newsletter. Now, trading asset bubbles, at least when you're doing it consciously, is a game of avoiding being the second fastest, to the exit door that is, when the inevitable pop happens. Even the most sophisticated participants in what I call greater fool theory markets fall into the trap of thinking that they will have the foresight to call time on the madness and sell before the correction, or should I say the popping. But leaving early is tough. It's a well-known fact that the greatest profits from bubble trading are attained during the final parabolic phase of the move. Your squirrel was feeling pretty clever back in January when I closed my long cocoa position, which I'd owned from Christmas 2022. I was nervous of repeating my mistake of holding on to a sugar position for far too long in late last year. Failing to get out at the first sign of stalling momentum proved very costly to that trade's P&L. Some end of year, some end of year weakness saw me call time on Coco, literally seventy-two hours before Coco started another, adding another two thousand dollars a ton in less than seven weeks. Am I cross about this? No, not really. Hats off to the hardcore trend-following CTAs whose machines one saw no break in primary trend in early January, and two were not dealing with any psychological scar tissue from having recently given up some large games in a different soft commodity. I can't believe that it was almost a year ago that Mrs. Squirrel's compliance restricted list preventing me from calling time on valuation lunacy at NVIDIA. That was $400 a share ago. It's sometimes better to be lucky than good in this game. All that us mere mortals can rely on at the end of the day is risk management. These days that involves managing both upside and downside tail risks. Regular listeners will know that the Squirrel is a curmudgeonly value investor at heart, Who would have thought that owning some out-of-the-money technology stock call options over the past few weeks could have been a more effective sleeping aid than a handful of tamazepam and a bottle of scotch? In handling the FOMO Part 2, we advocated buying low-delta call options on the NASDAQ 100 via the Triple Q ETF as an alternative to being sucked into the market euphoria. Let me quote a short paragraph from that piece to explain the maths. So, How does this structure work versus an all-in, i.e. a common stock commitment to U.S. tech equities over the next six weeks? Now, let's say you wanted to allocate 25% of a notional $500,000 portfolio to the NASDAQ 100 today. A 10% move would add 2.5% to your performance on an outright basis, cash equities only. Allocating 
37 basis points or 0.37% of that account to these call options would add 1.73%. On the upside, you forego 0.86% of performance. Your downside is a paper cut. AI bubble riding is not the only example of a nervous prey weighing up their chances versus their peers. In the world of commercial real estate, asset owners anxiously monitor their cash flows and debt covenants. Many of these owners are facing the brutal realities of cap rate mathematics. There is simply not enough equity in their buildings to enable them to roll their commercial mortgages in the current interest rate environment. It's been over 20 years since I last read Tom Wolfe's brilliant novel, A Man in Full. The book plots the bankruptcy of a fictional Atlanta commercial real estate mogul, Charles Capham Charlie Croker. The book contains the truly memorable Saddlebags chapter, in which Croker visits the asset workout team at his lending bank. This is, of course, complete ignominy for Croker, since his bankers traditionally came to visit him in his palatial offices. It's a scene that I imagine being played out on a daily basis in the regional banks across the U.S. Let me quote from Wolf. The sweat patches under his arms had converged and were now running down his sides, forming a pair of saddlebags on his shirt front. They were the size of two dinner plates, and they were darkening the fabric of his white shirt. Wolf goes on. The bankers stared at the saddlebags of sweat on Charlie Croker's shirt front. One of them whispered to one another, to the other, Is he melting? The other replied, No, it's worse. He's evaporating. In the highly leveraged world of commercial real estate, equity disappears fast. Let's do a quick worked example. Charlie Croker initially acquired an office built building pre-pandemic with 70% gearing and a, at, at a cap rate of 4.25%. The building generates a net operating income, or NOI, of $6.5 million per year. An, in, an, in, an initial valuation based on that cap rate comes to just over $150 million, of which 46 is equity and 107 debt. Fast forward to today. Occupancy and, of course, operating income are falling fast. Cap rates are on the rise. Charlie now has some big checks to write or he hands over the keys. By the way, cap rates are just what real estate folk call an earnings multiple. In reality, Charlie is almost certainly handing over the keys. He's lost his equity and he's also taken a major blow to his ego. But his bankers now own a half-occupied office building, which in many cases is worth a lot less than the outstanding amount on their loan. Do they really fancy repurposing these assets as residential dwellings or electric vehicle charging stations? Let's face it, in the real world, the bankers have got saddlebags too. It's like that old trism. When you, own the, when you owe the bank $100, it's your problem. When you owe them $100 million, it's very much their problem. Credit markets are starting to be razor-focused on the CRE exposure of these re regional banks. The recent failure of New York Community Bank Corps has put the KRE, which is the S&P Regional Banks ETF, back to the top of everybody's risk matrix. The AI bubble traders are still fantasizing about infinite TAMs, or total addressable markets, of AI model training and inference. They may be vaguely aware of hot CPI inflation prints and the latest utterances from voting, voting members of the Federal Reserve, but they're not hugely fussed. For now, tech equities do not care about the path of interest rates. However, Team Saddlebags is hanging on every single Delphic soundbite from those Fed speakers. 
Now, the Trepwire podcast has become a bit of a regular listen for the squirrel. The team at TREP provide research and consulting services to the commercial real estate market. Listening to the TREP, t- TREP, TREP team document through the latest fire sale transactions in commercial real estate as they audibly yearn for the relief of lower interest rates has a certain Hunger Games vibe to it. Unlike the bubble trader who is, convinced, who is concerned about timing his exit, Team Saddlebags is eyeing up its peer group, hoping that the grim reaper of high, inter- high, high interest rates comes for one of those guys first and, me- and also makes a sufficient mess for the Fed to start urgent and aggressive cuts to interest rates. By the way, Team Saddlebags is now an, an official squirrel meme. Um, I will cover all, it will cover all businesses that only exists, frankly, because of the last decades of low-to-zero interest rate policies. Blackstone Group is, of course, Chairman Emeritus of Team Saddlebags. The old mantra of extend and pretend now gets replaced with keep up the denial until there's enough carnage elsewhere that the central bank has no choice but to bail out those of us that are still left standing. Not quite as catchy, really, is it? Now, if, com- if regional commercial bankers and their clients are desperate for some aggressive dovishness from the Fed, spare a thought for the likes of the ECB's Christine Lagarde, the BOE's Andrew Bailey, and the RBA's Michelle Bullock. Pain in their own real economies, represented by small and medium-sized domestic businesses, is much more closely linked to the prevailing front-end or cash rates of interest. And that's before you even get to the pain in their local residential mortgage markets. Apollo published some really good statistics on employment by company size last week. In the UK, 90% of workers work for companies with under 250 employees. 60% of employees are at companies with under 10 employees. Maybe, maybe Napoleon was right when he, alleged that, when he allegedly said that England was a nation of shopkeepers. By comparison, in the US, only 10% of people work for companies with under 10 employees. And over half the country works in firms with over 250 people. Outside of the U.S., these major small, um, these major small and medium-sized enterprise employers are not in the um, privileged position of having termed out their debt at low rates during the pandemic. However, the foreign central bankers need to weigh up the risks to their own currencies and domestic inflation rates of crying uncle and moving to cut interest rates ahead of the U.S., Now, a controlled detonation of a handful of regional banks may indeed be preferable for Jerome Powell and his colleagues relative to the implications of starting an interest rate easing cycle that is deemed to be premature by a bond market that is spotting signs of re-emerging inflation. But Mr. Powell might not have a choice if there's an accident. Last week, we published an ultra-low-cost strategy to hedge against the risk of the Fed losing control over the long end of the Treasury curve, i.e. much higher yields. This is not a base case for the squirrel, but the various team saddlebags among the U.S. regional banks and foreign central banks might well be secretly yearning for the emergency cut that, cuts that might trigger, risk triggering that eventuality. In section two of the written letter this week for paid subscribers, we have a look at um, adjustments that need to be made to our first FOMO trade in semiconductors and review some interesting developments for a number of other other acorn positions so that's all for the week this week on the pod um, please find out more about the squirrel at blindsquirrelmacro.com you can also follow me on twitter at squirrel macro thanks for listening squirrel out <laughs>